So, today, in case you haven't been listening to any of the readings, let me give you the summary of them all. Forgiveness. That's it. All of the readings have everything to do with forgiveness. And no one likes to talk about forgiveness. But if I only stood up here and spoke about things that everyone likes to hear about, it would get very boring very quickly, and you probably wouldn't come back week after week. Part of what makes us up as humans is that we love a challenge. We love a challenge even if it hurts us a little bit. That's why we like working out and bettering ourselves through physical activity, although our muscles become sore and we get fatigued. That's why we like falling in love and the sacrifice and the dying to self that true love demands of us. It's even partially why we come back to church week after week, even though technically right now the dispensation for public mass still exists from Bishop Nestau. We like to be challenged. And there is nothing more challenging as humans than that effort it takes to forgive someone or something that has wronged us, hurt us, or made us resentful in some way. And yet that great effort of intrapersonal strength is what the gospel of Jesus Christ demands of us. We are to overcome, by the power of his grace, the natural desire to harbor resentment and to let anger and wrath brew in our hearts. The first reading from Sirach tells us, Forgive your neighbor's injustice, and when you pray, your sins will be forgiven. So we see that forgiveness is not only a good in and of itself, but forgiveness is a good for our salvation as well. Now, I'm going to tell you a truth that maybe you know, maybe you don't. Maybe it's so obvious, as I suspect it is, that you've never really even given much thought to put it into words, but in your heart, you already know it to be true. Here it is. No one, not you, not me, not the Pope, no one gets to heaven if they do not have forgiveness in their heart. Got it? It's very easy. It seems like I shouldn't have to say that, but maybe it's just better that I do. Now, if you have ever said the Our Father, and I suspect that you have, you have begged the Lord to forgive you, and then immediately you caveat that with, forgive me only as much as I forgive others. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Ouch. The begging for forgiveness, that's easy. We know we're sinners. We know we need mercy. We are always ready to ask for forgiveness for ourselves. But knowing that the forgiveness is freely offered to us only if we are willing to forgive others, that hurts. And that brings me to the gospel. You've heard this parable many times before, I'm sure. And you know that the premise seems kind of dumb. You know that it seems stupid for the servant that was forgiven a large sum of money by the king to demand that the servant who owed him a smaller amount get so mad about it. But in case no one has ever taken the time to really dive into this for you or no priest really wanted to break it down, let me tell you what people who are much smarter than me have said about it. So I consulted many commentaries on this reading and many from the early church, so the three four hundreds, the early church fathers, and some contemporary authors as well. And they make a few things clear that we don't get in an English translation. 
So first of all, the king was not a Jewish king, which meant that he was under no obligation whatsoever to show mercy. If he was a Jewish king, then he was guided by the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and he should have been merciful. Israel had a huge history of asking the Lord for mercy and him granting it. But since this king was not a Jewish king, he was not bound by these same laws. Secondly, the servant is a bad translation because what it really should have been is the guy who controlled all the money for this king. And the debt that he owed was so big that if he spent his entire life working for it, he would still not be able to pay back this debt. Third, the second servant who owed the first servant money was such a small amount of money that he could have easily paid it back in a few weeks. So when the first servant asked the king, please just give me more time and I will pay you back in full, this is ridiculous. It's preposterous. The king should have laughed him out of the court. And when the second servant came to the first, whose loan was just forgiven by the king, he should have been shown mercy. So it's absurd that the second servant was not shown mercy. But it was so absurd for a reason. Jesus made it that ridiculous so that the people listening to him would say, oh, okay, 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 I get it. That rabbi Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of God, which he talks so much about, it's impossible for us to reach alone. But if God grants us mercy, then we shall be forgiven of our sins and we gain an eternal reward. But if we don't forgive, then we get eternally punished. And Jesus doesn't like to be vague or, or beat around the bush here. He's very direct because he throws this zinger in at the end when he says, so will my heavenly father do to you unless each of you forgives your brother from his heart. So Jesus is clearly showing them that A, there are consequences for sin. And B, one of the easiest ways to be shown mercy that we clearly do not deserve is by first showing mercy to others. Now, after hearing this, I'm sure that someone in here, maybe multiple people, are thinking to themselves, that's nice, Father. Mercy sounds great. Of course we should show mercy to other people, but I've been hurt. I've been hurt physically, emotionally, psychologically, sexually, maybe, maybe all of the above. That's entirely possible, and I'm so sorry that you've had to go through anything like that. But the Lord still calls us to forgive. He, he calls us to be part of that mercy. Maybe you're very fortunate and that you don't really have many resentments in your life, but you still have minor ones. That doesn't mean that the resentments that you do have can't turn into much bigger issues if left unchecked. Maybe you know exactly who needs to be forgiven. Maybe it's going to take some internal searching before you figure out who it is exactly that you're harboring anger against. Maybe, after some time, you realize that there's no one person that I'm angry at. I'm just kind of pissed at life, life itself. And that's completely understandable. So let me quote Father Richard Rohr when he speaks about forgiveness. He says, it's not just forgiveness of this or that thing that I need to forgive, but it's also forgiving reality. Ultimately, I need to forgive reality for being reality, for being exactly what it is, for being so stupid, so absurd, so unjust, so wrong, so unfair. 
but I can't get trapped in what reality is. There's individual forgiveness, and that's where you practice and learn universal forgiveness. Universal forgiveness for this broken world. So while some of us need to forgive specific things from specific people, some of us need to forgive the world for just being the way that it is. But practicing both individual and universal forgiveness brings us more in line with God, who is absolute forgiveness itself. And the way that the God of the universe chooses that we should experience forgiveness from him and from others is in the sacrament of confession. Because when we sin, we not only offend God, but we hurt the relationship that we have with all of humanity. People like to complain and decry about how bad life is these days and how other people are making bad choices. Yet they aren't willing to participate in the remedy. Confession, through God's minister, the priest, repairs the relationship that we have with God and with all of humanity. Let me say two things about confession very quickly. One, we have confession before Mass every weekend at 8.15 if you'd like to be here, or any other parish. Or you can call the parish and just say, I want to talk with Father Dan, or I want to talk with Father Tony, or I want to talk with the better-looking younger Father Dan. See what I did there? Yeah. You can make an appointment. You can come before Mass. You can catch us after Mass. It's really quite easy. Look, my license plate says confess. This is something I believe in. Second of all, if you ever come to me with this garbage line that says, well, I just confess my sins to God, Father, I'm going to look at you and say, stop being Protestant. That's ridiculous. I'm sorry, but that's what they believe. Okay, so third, let me tell you that this whole notion of confessing our sins to God by ourselves is a little ridiculous, and it's not only I who say that, but the Universal Church. But let me tell you someone else who said that in the year 1000. His name is Blessed Isaac of Stella, who was an abbot. He says, the church is incapable of forgiving any sin without Christ, and Christ is unwilling to forgive any sin without the church. The church cannot forgive the sin of one who has not repented, who has not been touched by Christ. Christ will not forgive the sin of one who despises the church. What God has joined together, man must not separate. This is a great mystery but I understand it as referring to Christ and the church. So we need to be willing to at least forgive others so that we will be forgiven during our time of judgment. And one of the best ways to start the process of forgiveness for ourselves is to participate in the sacrament of confession. So whether it's been two weeks, 30, 50, or 75 years since your last confession, I encourage you all to consider coming to confession some way, somehow, this week. We pray as the church at every funeral liturgy for the deceased that they may experience the mercy of God. And while our prayers are very effective, it's way more effective if you choose to practice forgiveness while you're still alive. And that way, assure yourself of God's forgiveness after you die.